traveling through the book of 1 John. We are in chapter 5. I thought we'd make a run to the end, but it's not going to happen. You know, we are like a month away from starting the book of Revelation. Man, I am so... Okay. I am so looking forward to that, so... Hey, but let's stand and let's read from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. We left off last week at verse 3. You know, a lot of this is going to be reminder to us, but you know what? If God sees fit to reminding us of the really basic essential things, and there's a good reason for it, I'll promise to the believer this morning, for this is the love of, or sorry, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit, and that would be the Spirit in us, who bears witness because the Spirit of Spirit is truth, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Word and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness of himself. Watch this. He who does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, as God draws a line in the sand. These things I have written to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, God, would you speak to us? Lord, we want to just hear your voice this morning. So God, please, just bless our time in your word here, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We start, we start this morning with a series of statements about me. If you agree, say yes. If you don't, say no. Are you ready? Okay. I'm, I'm looking for a little greater response than that. Are you ready? Okay. I am male. I'm glad a few of you know that. (laughs) I have told you that my wife's name is Tony. Seriously, you have to respond here. I have a daughter that's a cop. Oh, everyone wants to know that. No, she won't cut you a deal. I have a son that plays guitar. I have another son that's buried in a cemetery. I've told you the truth. The title of my message this morning is God's Truth versus Man's truth. It'll all make sense when we get all done. Verse 4, we start with God's truth. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus 
is the Son of God. It's all promised right here to every person who is born of God with God's Spirit in them. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. This, this is our victory right here. Look what it says. It's our faith. It's your faith in Jesus Christ that has brought you the victory over the world team. We, we don't have to go out and discover methods or read manuals or read books on how to have victory over the world. No, it's, it's, it's right here. And this is the victory. It's your faith in Jesus Christ that has brought you victory over the world. The victory over the world, the sin, our flesh, and death happened in your life when you turned to Jesus and you said yes. See, he's he was calling you and you responded to that call and you said, yes, Lord, I believe. And you've come to know that he's the only way for mankind to be saved. And thus, back then, you invited him into your heart and said, yes, Lord, be the Lord of my life. That's how we overcome the world. Verse 5, it's God's truth as well. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Who is the person that has victory over the world? Because the world is speaking, the world is trying to draw all of us away from God, away from God's word, and away from God's people. You know what? It's working. It is. But how do we overcome the world? Well, it goes back to what you believe. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And we saw that a few weeks ago. All overcomers around the world believe that our Lord Jesus, the Christ, that was his mission, is God Almighty, creators of the heavens and earth, who came, who became man and walked among us because someone had to pay. Thus, God, by his actions, demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we know that verse. It's Romans 5.8, but you know verse 9? Much more than, team. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through his actions for us. You know, it's the innocent dying for the guilty. And as we believe that with all of our heart, the world has nothing on us, team. Nothing. Now, it's going to lie to us. It's going to try and deceive us. But our faith in Jesus Christ, our belief that he is God who took on human form, defeats anything and everything in God's creation because he's the creator. And if he's the creator, then he's also the one who controls it. And when he tells us this morning that, that our faith is what overcomes these things in the world, then we just get to believe that. We get to take it to the bank and cash it in. It defeats anything and everything. We, we saw something very similar back in chapter 4 where it said, You are of God, little children, and greater is he who is in you than anything in this world. So if I'm getting tripped up in this world, it's only because I'm allowing my flesh that has no power over my life to, die, to lie to me. Before I came to Christ, my flesh drove my life. I did what my flesh wanted to do. I gave it what it wanted to eat. I allowed it to experience what it wanted to experience. But when Christ came into my heart and into your heart, that flesh has no power anymore. It's been reckoned dead. Remember Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, we are to reckon our old nature, dead indeed to sin every day, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a simple position of faith. 
It's your flesh, the world, and the devil that just keeps seeking to deceive you that this world has a grip on our lives like it did before we came to Jesus. But it doesn't. You and I need to know that the world has no power over our lives anymore. So that way, when you're faced with life's trials, we all need to do what Paul instructed the church in Colossae to do, which is, if you've been raised up with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, every, every victory, battle, temptation, trial we'll ever face ourselves in, it usually has something to do with people. Usually. I guess you could get in an argument with yourself. We just say you're crazy. And Paul's saying, look, set your mind on things above. See, see right here, I can see you. If I look my, lift my eyes up to heaven, all I see is God. Wow, what is that? Two inches? I think that'll be a new chapter in my book entitled Brutally Honest. You don't need anything else. Just lift your eyes up. We're fearing. Lift your eyes up. God's promises are, are there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added unto you. All you got to do is lift your eyes up. Failure to look up will cause the world, the devil, and your flesh to deceive you every single time. But when you look up and you allow your faith in Jesus to guide you, you win every time. So see, you and I, we want to be those who are taking steps of faith every day because Jesus has conquered this world and this world no longer has any hold on our lives because our lives are now hidden in Jesus Christ. He's the protector of them. And as we allow our relationship with Jesus to grow, your faith and your trust in Jesus will grow also. Now, let me ask you this, though. How do we allow, allow our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ to grow? Well, I think doing what you guys are doing right now is certainly part of it, Bible study. But spending time with Him on your own is equally as important. I mean, it's awfully hard to trust someone that you don't know. See, if I, a stranger, was to walk up and say, Hi, can I watch your baby? You would say, well, in Texas, you'd say, I'm packing. <laughs> and you'd say, no, get out of here, I don't know you. But when you know someone well and say, hey, can I hold your baby? You would say, oh, yes, please. Please, thank you. Why? Because you know me. See, the problem any might be having in trusting God as they walk through this world is you just don't know him like you should. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go take a class on learning how to know God. You don't have to go read a book on learning how to know God. The book's already been written. But you've got to open up the living book the, book, the only book on the planet that says it's living and active. And, you, and, and I do this, Lord, give me wisdom and understanding and speak to me. That's all, last 33 years, it's worked for me. So if I have a problem trusting God, it's because maybe I don't know him like I should. I mean, the good news is that the invitation is always open. The invitation is always out there for you to come. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden. 
I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is always wanting to be teaching us. In the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So my faith, the opportunity for my faith to grow, well, it's available to me 24-7 in order to watch my faith grow as long as I give God the opportunity. Of course, the devil knows that. Your flesh knows that. The world knows that. So it wants to do everything it can to keep us busy, pulling us away from the things of God. So that way you go, wow, you know, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore. Yeah, because you haven't picked up your Bible in a long time. That's why. I mean, God is waiting for you to seek him that he might strengthen your faith. He won't force anyone. But who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, belief is a powerful doctrine within our life. If you remember the words of Jesus back in John chapter 6, the guys come to Jesus and say, hey, look, what is it that your father requires of us? And Jesus said, this is what my dad requires of you, that you would believe in the one in whom he sent. That's all, that's all, they were looking, that's all God was looking for in the Old Testament. That's what he's looking for from you and I in the New Testament. And as we believe, we overcome the world. This world that's trying to trap us and trick us. This world that lies to us. You know, you turn on a TV, those aren't commercials, those are lies. Because you got to read the fine print. Oh, yeah, this only works in one out of five billion people or something like that. It's my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what causes me to be an overcomer. And that's what God wants us to be. If you go look in the book of Revelation to the, to the seven churches, Jesus writes to them, to him overcomes, to him overcomes, to him overcomes. Every, every one of those letters to those seven churches ends the same way. God wants us to be overcomers. To be overcomers is what we're called to. And we are when we walk in the Spirit. Eyes, hearts, and minds focused on Jesus. And so... God wants to remind us of these very basic essential truths. And, and it's good to be reminded that, hey, you know what? Our belief stems out of getting to know the one that we believe in. If it's shaky, spend some time. Verse 6, it's God's truth. This is he who came by water and blood. Long dash. Stop and think about that. Of course, the scholars think about it so much. There's a lot of arguments about this verse. Jesus Christ, he wasn't a ghost or a created angel. He came by water and blood. He's not an angel like the cults and religions say today. No, Jesus is real flesh and blood, 100% man, 100% God when he walked on this earth. Not only by water, but by water and blood. See these final words in verse 6? There's a lot of, lot of views on what just these few words mean. But there isn't one that says this. Can't this just be a repeat of what he said from the beginning of the verse? No, stupid, that can't be right. Okay, well, that's what I thought. But the, the commentators seem to think there's all these different views here. We know in the Old Testament that things were cleansed from water and from blood. Others say the water of his is, is the water of his baptism here at the start of his ministry, and the blood is the blood at the cross at the end of his ministry when he gave up his life. Others say, no, this is the water and blood that came out of his side when the Roman soldier thrust his spear in Jesus' side. And there's a lot of other views as well. So who's right? All of them? 
Well, how's that possible? Well, that way I won't be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. But if I take a side, then some, I think they're all probably all have parts of the answers. When you look at those things and there's seven answers for one thing, there, there's not one single answer that's right. Of course, when I was brand new saved, I knew exactly which one was right. But as I get older, I realize mm, I don't need to know. I do know this, however, that this is God's truth. And it's the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. The Holy Ghost will always point you and I to truth, and that truth is always in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost just before he was arrested? He said quite a few things, but one thing specifically, detour please, John chapter 16, just for a minute. He's hours away from being arrested. Bye, Amelia. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why? Because they're not born again, of course. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. This is so important right here. He will glorify me. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he's going to glorify himself. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So how do we know that we know Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness to our hearts that Jesus is God in the flesh who went to the cross and died in our place and then rose again from the dead, proving everything that he said, proving that he is God. And so as we go through this section, these words testimony and witness, they're the same exact Greek words. They all mean the exact same thing, one who testifies. Because see, you and I, we are not eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. But you and I have the same spirit in our hearts that was in the Apostle John when Jesus breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit is in us is the same Holy Spirit that was in the Apostle John testifying to him as well as us that the evidence that is put before us is true. And that's the beauty of the Spirit's work in our lives. Verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Now, there is extreme controversy over this particular scripture as well. There's only less than one one thousandth of a percentage point is where there's extreme controversy in the Bible. Well, we're getting two of them right here. And I've read some of their arguments. According to the scholars, and you might actually have a footnote in your Bible right here that reads something like this. Only four or five of the manuscripts contain these, verses, these words in verses 7 and 8. Or your, your little footnote might read, the original manuscript says, now that always bothers me because we don't have any originals. So how in the world can they say that? I don't know. I would just like toss that thing. Not that the Bible's wrong, but the little footnotes are. See, you, what you and I have today is a copy of a copy. Now, there's lots of copies. There's 25,000 fragments and pieces 
of, of the Bible that you and I hold today. There's only about 100, maybe I think it's 114, of complete copies. But there's no original. They're copies. And so the scholars here say in verse, about verses 7 and 8 that verses 7 and 8 were put in around the 14, some would say the 1500s, by an overzealous copyist. And you know what? That may be true. Of course, the problem with the controversy is the cults know all about the scholars' words about verses 7 and 8 here. And thus they try and discredit our Bibles because of the scholars' disagreement or because of the scholars pointing out, hey, this, this wasn't in the original. But how do they even know? And so the cults try and discredit our Bible and try and discredit the view of the Trinity because certainly verses 7 and 8 point to the Trinity. But listen, we don't need verses 7 and 8 to prove the existence of the Trinity in the Bible. There are thousands of places to go look. If you, you want an assignment, you start in Genesis chapter 1 and you go looking for every place there's a picture of the Trinity in your Bible and you'll end up with thousands of verses. Starting in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Well, okay, so what's so important about that? When you look at the Hebrew word for God there, it's Elohim, meaning more than one. So from the very beginning of creation, God is testifying of the Godhead. When you go to chapter 1 in Genesis, verse 26, it says, Let us, meaning more than one, make man in our image. So from the very beginning of creation, the Godhead the Godhead is present. Now, 1 John 5, 7 and part of verse 8 is certainly consistent with the rest of the scriptures in the Bible. Luke 3.22 is one of them. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. As Jesus was coming up out of the waters of baptism, the Father spoke. The Spirit in the form of a dove landed upon Jesus, the Son. And certainly that becomes a great picture of the Godhead or the Trinity working together. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so I add, and these three all agree as one. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says this, God was manifested in the flesh, that would be Jesus, justified in the Spirit. And again, I add these three are one. Because Jesus is the one who is manifested, manifested in the flesh that came from God. And there are, you know, other places to go look. But that would be like hours of time that we'd have to spend. Whether verses 7 and 8 is contained in the original scriptures or not, I don't know. No one can really know because there aren't any originals. And, you know, they, they make all these great arguments. But here's one they don't make. They didn't need to write about it because everybody believed it back then. I mean, they understood that God became man and walked among us. They understood that, so why do we need to write about it? They understood that, that Jesus was God who became man. And yet we find, those we find those verses all over the place. Hey, Joseph, by the way, I'm the angel sent from God, and your Mary, your woman here is going to have a baby, and his name is going to be called Jesus, but his other name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, they had all this evidence 
So why did they have to write something and spell it out so specifically like verse 7 and 8 here? I don't think they did. But I don't know. Maybe they did. So whether it was in the original or not, I have no idea. It's not really an argument I want to take up. But we don't need it. Because there's so much proof of the Trinity in the Scriptures. Verse 9. God's truth versus man's truth. If we receive the witness of man... The witness of God is greater. The reason John is writing this is because there are agnostics, there are atheists, or there are atheists, because everybody believed in God, but there are skeptics. There are these, these people that were going around saying Jesus was just a spirit, which that's what the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons say today. Jesus is just a spirit. And so what John says here, look, if you receive the witness of men, those guys telling you that stuff, hey, let me, John says, let me tell you this, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness to himself. Your, your life changing as the Spirit of God dwells in you becomes a witness, certainly to yourself. He who does not believe God has made God a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. You see, I can tell you about Jesus. But when Jesus makes his word come alive in our hearts and you own it, well, that's by far a way greater witness. You know, when I was sitting in my home reading my Bible three weeks before I got saved back in December of 1983, I was reading it. I had no idea I was going to surrender my life in three weeks. But I experienced the witness of God as he testified of his son into my heart. But there wasn't any man around. I was just there, a lost sinner with God's word and God's voice speaking to me. You know, God did not call me to believe in him with no evidence. He was speaking to me. I was reading his word. He was drawing me just like he did you. We all have stories. They're going to be different from mine, but we all have them. And all of them will be of God pointing us to our need for his son. Now, if you reject that testimony, can, I don't know where people are. I don't know where you're at. I only know about where I'm at. But if you reject that testimony that God has given you of his son, look what the Bible says here. You're making God out to be a liar. I, I, I can't imagine that would be a great place to be. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, it says, all liars will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Not if you tell a lie. Certainly the blood of Jesus covers over that. But you refuse to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. You, you refuse to believe. According to God, that makes you a liar. You're out, the outcome for you will not be good. It doesn't really matter what you think. God has said, look, I've given my son. I've set the course. The evidence is overwhelming if you will turn to me. See, if you don't turn to Jesus with all your heart, you will never know what's true. It's called faith. You have to take a step of faith and turn. And when you turn, he, he speaks to you, he calls you, because he's already working on your heart. To somehow think that my thing that I believe will be accepted by God when it doesn't match up with what God is offering through his son, well, I'm not only deceived, I'm also a liar. And, and we've met people all over the planet. Well, how did you come to believe that? Well, that's just what I believe. 
Man, people all over the planet deceived because they've created some theology in their mind. But according to God's word here, they're making God out to be a liar. And that unbelief is the only thing that's going to keep people out of heaven. So you and I, we possess the truth. And as we share that truth with others, if people don't receive that, that's on them. Unbelief is the only thing that's going to keep people out. God says, believe in my son who gave his life for you and rose again from the dead so that you can receive forgiveness of sin today and eternal life when you need it. And some will say, nah, not today, not interested. Or the old infamous, this is more California, but it's approaching the Midwest. Oh no, there's way more than one way to get to God. Even Christians are just narrow-minded. Well, God says, believe in my son. Man says, you know, I don't know if I have faith to do that. You know, you Christians, you, you believe something blindly. No, we don't. You know, I'll tell you what, Christian, I would believe it if I could have faith. I just don't have faith to believe in that stuff. They're lying. And you need to call them on it. The next time someone says, you know, I don't really have, I don't know if I have faith to believe in that stuff. Let me ask you this, Mr. Self-righteous. Do you have faith that when you drive home, the guy that's coming at you in the other lane is going to stay in his lane? Yep. Do you have faith if you go to the restaurant, the cook's not going to spit in your food? Yep. Do you have faith to believe everything that I just told you about myself? Yep. Do you have faith in your doctor? I hope you do. Man has faith in the pharmacist. At least I hope they do. But when God says he has the prescription for mankind to be healed from their sins, man says their ignorance, where's the proof? I need proof. Show me. Okay, I'll show you. For the record, the proof is that a man or woman who chooses not to believe, the proof is, is that they are sinners and they don't need the Savior, and they don't want to acknowledge that they're sinners. That's the proof. I'm not a sinner. I, I know that you just proved my point. See, God has written the prescription. It's all laid out there. But people who don't think they're sinners, they don't act on it. Why, why should I do this? I'm a good person. And when they don't act upon it, they're making God out to be a liar. That's that's their testimony, that God was a liar to them. Not a good place to be. But for us, verse 11, it's all God's truth here. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, like right now. You don't cash in on eternal life, or you don't receive eternal life the day you die. No, you get it when you turn to Jesus, and then you cash it out when you need it. I don't have to go wondering, am I going to have eternal life? No, you do if you've turned to Jesus as the Lord of your life. Eternal life is yours today. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who, who does not have the Son of God does not have life, as God draws a very clear, fine line in the sand this morning. And so there's 
I believe two roads that lead to God. No, pastor, there's only one. No, there's two roads that eventually lead to God. There's a single straight, standalone, blood-bought by the blood of the Lamb that leads you to heaven. That's where Jesus is because he's the Lord of your life. That's the road you want to be on. But there's another road that's going to lead you eventually to God. And it's the road where you're the master of your life because you're rejecting God's offer of grace. And that road terminates at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And there at that moment in time, God's books are going to be open and everything you've ever done, your works are going to be there and they're going to be laid out before you. And you're going to be judged guilty because the only way your works will get you into heaven is if you're perfect. And seeing that no man is perfect, it's, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And why? Because they chose not to believe their fellow man and, and uh, that was declaring to them the truth of the gospel. They just chose to believe some other weird crazy thing and not God Almighty. But they chose to believe man and not God. We do it all the time. The weatherman says, and he's wrong 50% of the time or more, hey, it's going to rain today, so take an umbrella. So what do people do? They grab their umbrellas. The Black Friday ads come out a few days before Black Friday, and people plan their whole shopping trip around a piece of paper. They believe it. Yet when it comes to God and his word, you know, I, I'm just, I am just not sure about that. What's that right there? What is this right here? How do you know that? Because your mom told you? Because the teacher said, stand up and salute the flag, and you go, what is that? And you watch all the other people and said, okay. Because it says in a dictionary somewhere. What, because there's, there's three or four pieces of evidence that that's a flag? Nobody would ever question that. And yet, the Bible, there's thousands of pieces of evidence that it's true, let alone the Spirit of God testifying that it's true in our hearts. What's this on the floor? You might say carpet. I'd call it a carpet square that's put together to make it look like a piece of carpet. How do you know it's true? Because some man told you it's carpet square? You go to Home Depot, hey, you have any carpet squares? Oh, yeah, we got a whole bunch. That's the testimony of man. God's saying, look, my testimony is greater. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. All, all of verse 12 here, it's present tense. So we are talking about a real-time, live-seen stuff right here. So whether you choose door number one or door number two, this verse is an ongoing present reality in your life. And should Jesus come back right now, the door that you've entered in is the door that you will have for all of eternity. He who has the Son always has life continually, like right now and when I need it. That's door number one. He who does not have the Son of God presently does not have life. That is door number two. There is not a third option. What about the backslider? What about him? He's either a believer or he's not. You, there's, <coughs> there's only two options here. 
Now, this sentence is also in the active voice, which means you and I are the ones doing the work here. So you and I get to pick door number one or door number two. Certainly, Jesus has performed all of the action for us, but it's up to you and I to choose life and not reject it. Same with our friends. Same with our co-workers. Door number one brings life. Door number two makes God a liar, and you end up at the great white throne judgment. That's, that's the hard, cold reality about your family and friends. And so again, if you've never shared with them, put the gospel message down on a card and just send it to them. Get a track from Jeff Bovin. He has them. And just stick it in a card. Mail it anonymously if you want to. But you've got to share with them at least one time. You know those statements I made at the beginning that most of... Most all of you believed. You know, I'm male. I told you my wife's name is Tony. I could say I could say those same statements to people in my life that are choosing door number two, that's making God a liar. And here's the crazy thought for the day. They would believe me, but they won't believe God. Think about it. I can hardly wait. It's going to become my new setup. I feel sorry for the person on the airplane in a couple of weeks. <laughs> hey, do you believe I'm a man? Well, actually, today that may not work today. <laughs> but, hey, do you believe I'm sitting here? Do you believe this is an airplane? Well, how come you won't believe God? You know, you don't believe God, you're calling him a liar. And who am I? I'm just a man. I'm a sinner. crazy when you think about it. Man would believe you, but not God. I believe Bruce, but not God Almighty. It's crazy. Door number one offers forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the blessings of God. Door number two offers death an eternal separation away from God who died for you with you for all of eternity, proclaiming God's a liar. Not a good choice. Verse 12, one more time, with the emphasis on the definite article, the. So look how this reads. He who has the one and only Son has the one and only life. He who does not have the one and only Son of God does not have the one and only life. Team, we have it. That's why we've got to share it. What this is saying is if you've asked Jesus Christ in your hearts, you have eternal life today. It's not something, again, he's just, John's repeating himself. It's not something you're going to get someday. No, it's something you'll use someday. Jesus said in John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. And he added, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, you possess the power and the promise of eternal life right now. That that should do something in our hearts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. That, That happened right then, but have everlasting life. That happened in my life. See, only a person that doesn't think they're that bad would reject God's offer. And there's a lot of them around here. How you get in heaven? Ma'am. I'm a pretty good person. I live in Texas. Yeah, well, it was a great answer. They ain't going to get you there. It 
So many think it's all about how good they are. I got some good works. I don't really need that Jesus and the church stuff. I believe God's going to treat everybody fair. Oh, man, you are so absolutely right there. He's going to treat you fair. And then you have door number one and you have door number two. Depending on how you pick is how God will treat you. But it will be fair. Listen to a true story of some that thought they were pretty good. At a table in the house that was full of tax collectors and sinners, Jesus came and sat down with his disciples, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he goes on to say, I've come not for the, the righteous, but for the sick. And when you stand apart from God in your sin, your thoughts and or your actions, you're sick. And that's what caused us to turn to Jesus when he was calling us. And then all of a sudden, God forgives us all of all that stuff. See, only those that think they are well will reject the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. And when a man or woman rejects him, they reject everything, including eternal life. Verse 13, it's God's truth for us. These things I've written to you, these things that he's hashed over and over, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know with absolute certainty and knowledge that you have eternal life. John stressing the assurance of salvation. I mean, you got all these voices, you got all these programs, you got all these channels, you have all these people saying all these different things about eternity. And John says, look, God's having me write to you that you may know with absolute certainty that you have eternal life with zero doubts. But not only know, but also that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, if you look at your Bible, the word continues in italics. So it was added in for sentence clarification. So not only know, but also that, but I still believe it works there, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Because see, you, you and I, we have to continue in our relationship with Christ because everything's trying to pull us away. Get us busy doing all this other stuff. A lot of good stuff to do in the world. But I better be doing my God stuff in the midst of it. And God wants us to continue to believe. See, the importance of being in God's word is his word reminds us and refreshes our hearts daily. It keeps the world out and it keeps Jesus in. And just this last week, as I read my Bible, I've discovered some great new truths that I'd never seen before, even though I don't know how many times I've read it before. Why? Because the Bible is living and active. It's never the same. God will speak to us over and over because we're not the same. Hopefully, we're growing forward. So all of a sudden, God shows me something like, whoa, Philippians 2.14, do all things without arguing or complaining. I remember the time I saw that. I'd read it I don't know how many times. I'd taught the book a couple of times. And then all of a sudden, God said, do all things without arguing and complaining. Hey, where did he say that is again? <laughs> Go looking for it. 
See, reading my Bible over and over is not like watching a movie over and over, and after a while, you know, you've seen it so many times, you go, wait a second, there's, a, there's an error in the movie right there. Look, they had a hat on there, they, or the animation error. So that's, that's not how reading your Bible over and over is. At least I hope it's not. See, as you read your Bible over and over, as you continue to believe in Jesus, the Bible declares that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that is true. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Father, we're thankful, God, for your Word, that you've kept it, that you've preserved it, that you want to use it in our lives. 